remember days as a kid when being at worship with God's people wasn't necessarily a great joy, something that I was eager about. I can remember, I don't know if you have these kinds of memories in your life, I can remember one Super Bowl Sunday, I uh, somehow managed to sneak a little pocket radio into church, (laughs) wore a long sleeve shirt that day, ran the cord down my arm, earplug in my hand, and has managed to sit there with rapt attention to the sermon. My mom found out about that. It was ugly. It was ugly. Well, not too long ago, there was a seven-year-old boy in Plain City, Utah. Seven years old. He hopped into his parents' car on a Sunday morning, pulled out of the driveway, and took off down the road. Not long after, the local police began receiving complaints about this erratic driver in a white car. So deputies located the car. They turned on their lights. The boy refused to pull over, and they proceeded to have a low-speed chase through this small town. The, uh, the sheriff believed there is a practical reason the boy never exceeded 40 miles per hour. His speed was slow but erratic, he said. He would kind of scoot down, you know, to lower to push on the gas and then kind of sit up in the seat more to see where he was going. The chase finally ended when the boy pulled back into the driveway of his suburban home, hopped out of the car, and fled into the garage. Later, confronted by the police, he finally explained the motivation behind his unexpected joyride. Just did not want to go to church. So, ever been there? You wouldn't admit it if you had, right? Probably all of us at one time or another, not... uh, Not perhaps something as drastic as stealing our parents' car to avoid it, but because we have not wanted to go to church or church-related activities, we find ourselves checking out. Checking out uh, sometimes physically, sometimes often, or or more often than not, mentally and emotionally. And I have to be honest with you, there there are those times, I think I've said this to you before as a pastor, I, I just have those aha moments and I stop and I say, what in the world are we doing here? What, what is this about? This thing that we call church, this, this institution that we're a part of, what's up with that? Is, is this what Jesus intended? Is this what Jesus had in mind when he told his disciples that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not stand against it. In other words, they would crumble before the power and the presence and the the force of the church. I'm convinced that in our lives, and and I've told you this kind of thing before, so you you know this about me, I'm convinced that, that probably we have... We've turned the church, and when I say we, I just mean collectively we as, as Christians in this society. We have, we've turned the church into more of, of a location. We've turned the church into to a place 
where we go. We go to do church. We go to be church rather than the living, vital, life-giving. Those are all redundant but important. Living, vital, life-giving presence that Jesus had in mind when he talked about the church. You see, the word church in the original language means the called out ones. People who are called out. Jesus never intended, if, if I can say it like that, who am I to know the mind of Jesus? But, but we never see any statements in Scripture coming from Jesus that He intended His church to be a building, to be a location where people would gather together and in many instances that becomes the extent of church. The church is people. The people of God. Those redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. People who have responded to the grace of God and have been called out of the norm. Remember, called out ones. That's the name. That's, that's the name. That's, that's the word for church. Called out ones. Called out of the norm of everyday living no matter what age they find themselves living in. Called out to live a life that is governed by God. A life that is lived according to His value system. A life that exhibits His character, His qualities, so that others will be attracted to God and drawn into the life that He created them for. There was a day when churches would operate by the axiom, if you build it, they will come. That day is long gone. We live in a day when folks equate church with the building. And folks don't go to church. Given the statistics that some of our statisticians around the country put together, increasingly, increasingly, Larger percentages of people just have no sense that the church has anything to do with their lives, that it has anything to say to their life, that it has any place or should have any place of importance. I think the hard truth for us as God's people is to to face the fact that, that many, many, many people in our society do not find the life of God attractive. They do not find the life of God alluring. They, they do not find the life that God has created for people to live something that, that they want to buy into and be a part of. I think there's a couple of reasons. First, there is... Clearly, there is an enemy of God that is at work in the world to draw people away from the life that God has created them for. It started in the garden and it has carried on every day since. There is nothing that the enemy wants more than to take those who are created in the image of God and to trash their lives by convincing them that God 
is not all that he's cracked up to be. That the life that God has created us to live is some kind of a, a secondary existence. It's, uh, it's good to resort to if you don't have a better choice. The enemy has been doing that since, I was going to say day one, some day, shortly after day one, right on up until today. That's one reason. The other reason I think the church does not live a life. The church, remember, the people. Not the building, the church. The people of God, myself included. We do not live lives that are attractive and inviting to a watching world, to a world that sees us, to a world that, that takes the time to get to know us. And that too, that too is the work of the enemy. The enemy assaults the hearts of the people of God over and over and over again with all kinds of doubts and fears, resulting in lives that do not exhibit the grace and the power and the presence of God in daily living. Now here's the deal. There's not a thing we can do about the first reason. The enemy is at work. The enemy is out to convince people that God is a liar, that he's holding out on them, that life lived with God is not all that it's cracked up to be. We can't do anything about that. The activity of the enemy is the jurisdiction of God. We can't stop his activity. Scripture teaches that someday God will stop his activity. In the meantime, we just wait for that. The second reason, though, my friends, the second reason we can do something about. That reason that God's people don't exhibit a life that is attractive and, and inviting and welcoming to those who don't share it. That's a problem that we can do something about. That is something that God in His grace and by His Spirit has given us the power to change. And that's what I hope that these kingdom parables have been challenging us with, teaching us, as we have looked at Jesus' words again and again, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they're interchangeable terms so often in Scripture, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like. And then he lays out these stories that we call parables that we have been looking at for a number of weeks together. I hope and I pray that, that, that the lessons that we have gleaned from these parables have, have challenged us to, to see the kingdom perhaps in some new ways, perhaps enlarged our perspective, maybe challenged some of our thinking uh, that uh, was a bit narrow. It's our last Sunday together in this study. And what I want us to do is I want to uh, read our text this morning, the final words that Jesus uh, says to his disciples in this part of Matthew 13 that has to do with the kingdom parables. And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to just take a few minutes to try to make some application to what those words meant, not only to the disciples, but to us. And then, you know, the teacher in me always has to do just a brief review. And I hope that that can maybe be a little bit more interactive for those of us who have been that we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit, certainly not in detail, just briefly, uh, remind ourselves of the lessons that we've learned and to see how that perhaps fits into the application of these final words of Jesus. Does that sound okay to you? Well, of course it does. What are you going to say? 
No, I hate that idea. I'm going home. Let's stand. Let's read our text together. (laughs) Okay, words of Jesus as he uh, concludes these, uh, these parables about the kingdom of God. Let's read together. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Tell me something. Do you think the disciples were telling the truth? (laughs) No way. Man, maybe they thought they were. That's exactly right. Have we understood everything that Jesus is teaching us in these parables? No. But have we tried? Yes. And are we still trying? Yes. And do we want to understand so that it makes a difference in our lives for the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Those first disciples were trying, I think, with all of their might to to discern and to understand these new truths that Jesus is communicating to them. Truths that that in many ways just stood against uh, a very old and time-honored tradition that they were a part of. And they were wrestling with this new stuff. And may that be true of us as well. Got a quick little neighbor discussion for you this morning. Jesus referred, in those verses that we read, Jesus referred to a homeowner who brings treasures out of the storeroom. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, what do they think the storeroom is? What's the storeroom? All right, so what does that brilliant person next to you think the storeroom is, besides a place where you store things? What do you think the storeroom is? The knowledge of Christ. Okay, what else? Your heart. It's a heart issue. Knowledge of Christ certainly deals with the heart issues, doesn't it? Just a little. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Life experience. Okay, okay. Yeah. I think that really comes to bear with the disciples and, and what they're wrestling with here. If we turn back a chapter in Matthew 12, Jesus, you may remember the story, 
he has um, he has healed a demon possessed man who had been both blind and mute. And the Pharisees began to say, well, he's only getting rid of this evil by the power of the evil one. And Jesus says, are you nuts? No, he didn't really say it that way. But essentially what he said to the Pharisees was, come on, guys, you know that any kingdom divided against itself is going to fall. You know, the strength of a kingdom is that, they, it, that it works together, that all parts pull together, that they stand as a united front. That's what makes the kingdom stand strong. And so Jesus' argument to them is, why on earth? Would the evil one want to give life and health and wholeness and healing to this individual when that is not what he is about? And then Jesus said these words exactly. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything? I bet they really love that comment. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you hear that? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them. Similar language to what we're finding here in chapter 13. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them. The storeroom is the human heart. And the stuff that is in the storeroom, what a surprise. As always, Jesus is dealing with the heart because, as we have said many times, The heart of all problems is ultimately a problem of the heart. And so in our text, Jesus is saying that that every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven brings new and old treasures out of his life. That is, flowing from that person's life will be treasures that are both new and old about the kingdom of heaven. You remember, in Jesus' day, the scribes or the teachers of the law, they were the interpreters of the law. They, they sought to interpret the law and bring its truth to bear on everyday life. The law was the authority for the Jew. The language that Jesus uses here implies that one who has been a teacher of the law, that is, one who has been living under the law and using the law as their guide to their daily life, when they become exposed to the kingdom of heaven, they begin to shift their allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. They begin to follow as a disciple. That's implied in in how the language and the structure is put together here in the verse. Because Jesus wasn't speaking to technically scribes or teachers of the law. He's speaking to disciples. And yet he was speaking to men who had grown up under the law. Men who had grown up under the teaching of the law. Men who had grown up under the interpretations and the presentation of the law according to 
the scribes or the teachers of the law. The law was the source of authority to the Jew. As Christians, we say that the Scriptures, God's Word, Old and New Testament, are our source of authority. I think that what Jesus is saying to the disciples is that many of the things that they had grown up with, beautiful and wonderful and amazing, for that's, that's how the Jews understood the law. It was the revelation of God. It was given to them as His people. They loved the law. They revered the law. They sought to live their lives according to the law. They often didn't understand much of the law. And yet it was precious to them. Jesus is saying, what you have grown up with, beautiful and wonderful and amazing as it is, it's giving way in terms of your understanding and your interpretations of it, it's giving way to something that is even more beautiful and wonderful and life-giving than you have ever known or understood. Been there all along, but hidden. Remember Jesus' explanation for teaching in parables. The grace of God is a mystery. And when it dawns, people need to respond to what they have been given. Grace is a what? Grace is a mystery. Grace is always a mystery. Do you see the application here for those first hearers, those first followers of Jesus? Jesus is talking about life under the law versus life under under grace. And he's not suggesting for a moment that the law has no value. The law has great value. Jesus upheld the law. Jesus was a Jew. But we often see Jesus conflicting with the Pharisees and the religious leaders over his observation of one point of the law. Jesus was always true to the spirit of the law, but sometimes his living out of the daily application of the law was less than what the Pharisees appreciated or what the teachers of the law, the scribes, would call for in that day. The Apostle Paul, both in Romans and in Galatians, he refers to the law as a, as a school teacher. The word that he uses in Galatians is, is, is a tutor or a school teacher that was serving the purpose of teaching the people of their need for grace. The reason that the law is so important is that it gives us a glimpse of the holy standard of God and it reveals the utter sinfulness of the human heart. And its intent is to leave a person standing there going, how in the world can I measure up? You can't! That's the point of the law. Is to tell a person there is no way that you can measure up to the holy standard of God. Let's talk about grace. You see how that works? To leave a person with a sense of helplessness and, and, and desperation and, and futility. How do I measure up to the standards of a holy God? You don't. God does. Paul says that the letter of the law 
kills the, the, the spirit of the law. That is, Christ brings life. He's talking about both eternal life. I think he's also talking about that sense of life lived now to the full with confidence and joy by the values of the kingdom of heaven, which will become an attraction to many. I think that that life lived according to the values of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I wish I lived that life more faithfully. I think, honestly, I think it results in, in a great adventure. I hope that doesn't sound trivial. And I didn't say easy adventure, nor did I say a carefree adventure. But I did say a great adventure. Life lived according to the value system of God. And what He has revealed to us in Christ opens up an adventure for us like we have never lived before if we haven't given ourselves to that. So let's talk together for just a few minutes. We've got to be done here shortly. This is the, uh, the quick review part, okay? We started, we started with the parable of the sower. Now remember, we're thinking again about old and new treasures. Old is not bad. Old is just old. There's value in old. There's great value in old, okay? <laughs> so just because something is old doesn't mean we pitch it. But we, thank you, but we look at it differently when it's placed side by side with something that is new and of equal value. That's what Jesus is driving here. We started with the parable of the sower. And you remember the parable of the sower? The four different soils, we took a, we took a slightly different direction or interpretation that was, at least I say slightly different, that for probably the majority of us. We talked about... The, uh, the, the teaching that many of us had grown up under, what did the parable of the sowers mean versus what Jesus was saying in regard to the kingdom of God and the condition of the heart. Anybody remember? What were the soils? They were rocky, weed infested, paths, good soil. And what did the soil represent? Don't be shy. Our hearts. Oh, now there's a surprise again. Our hearts. That Jesus. Always after the heart. Okay. They were heart conditions. Now, the, the, the original interpretation of that for many of us, I can remember it as a boy in Sunday school, was that those are the four different hearts. They're, different, they're four different categories of people. There are those who, are, who have weedy hearts, and there are those who have rocky hearts, those who are, have good hearts, and those who have... Parts of hard paths. And the gospel is spread out into the field and it falls on all these different hearts and some hearts respond and some don't. Gets us off the hook, don't you think? That's not at all what Jesus is talking about. I don't think. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking response to the kingdom of heaven and the value system of God. And he's talking to disciples who, by the way, to the best of their ability, have already given their hearts to following Jesus. What's he talking about? He's talking about the condition of the human heart in you and in me. As followers of Christ, our hearts are subject to weeds and rocks and paths that are hard and tradition-bound, and familiar, and comfortable. Remember this conversation? Oh, good. Even if you're lying, it just makes me feel good to see you nod your head. Okay? Well, there's an example of, of perhaps how the value system 
in the economy, in the kingdom of God, causes us to see something new and different from the way that we've always seen it. And it brings the responsibility for response right back where it needs to be. And that's on me. See, I'd much rather deal with the condition of your heart, Rick. (laughs) Christ is calling his followers to give careful attention to the condition of their hearts and how they respond to these new truths of the kingdom and the things that are important in the value system of God. I remember a conversation with a friend some time ago been facing some really difficult stuff. And this friend said, I do not want to complain and whine. God knows my circumstances and will provide for me. What was one of the soils? One of the soils was the rocky soil. Remember when difficulties and persecutions come along? If a person doesn't understand that that's a part of the Christian life, then their response is, this is not what God promised. I'm out of here. How blessed I was by this friend who recognized, who had taken the truths of what Jesus calls us to, the very words of Jesus regarding persecution and hard times and suffering, had taken those words and had put it down into the soil of their heart and it had begun to grow deep roots so that when the hard stuff came, their determination was to bring glory to God and to honor Him in their response to the difficulties. That's so cool. That's, that's new stuff set next to the old stuff. New treasures set next to the old. Remember the lesson that we learned from Jesus, why he taught in parables, grace is a mystery. He said that a moment ago, requires an urgent and an immediate response from us. So when the Spirit gives us insight into truth of the kingdom, we've got to act, we've got to respond. Brothers and sisters, when we hear these truths and the Spirit connects in our hearts and says that is the truth, and that's how I want you to live, our response needs to be, okay, Lord, by your grace, that's how I'm going to live. I'm pushing forward. That's the path that I want to follow. That's the great adventure that you're calling to me. Another lesson was the parable of the weeds. Enemy came in the night, planted weeds in the wheat. What was the lesson there? Do you remember? (laughs) Don't pull them. (laughs) Be patient. Yeah. The weed, of course, stood for the people of God. The weeds are those who are not. And, of course, I want to pluck those weeds. At at the very least, I want to spray them with Roundup. That's the human heart. And yet Jesus, and, and, and remember, he's talking to Jews. Who are the Jews? God's chosen people. How do you think they felt about Gentiles? Not very good. And so... Jesus is suddenly saying to these Jewish disciples who in just another couple of years, perhaps even less, he's going to send them on a mission that's going to take them into nasty places like Samaria and Phoenicia, where they're going to have to deal with with pagans, with Gentiles, with dogs, to use the vernacular of their day. And Jesus was priming them to say, the old is still valuable. You are the people of God and God does love you and you hold a special place in God's heart, but you're not all there is. You see the old and the new side by side. And the challenge of the disciples, I think, is, is our challenge as well, that we will be a people who, 
who recognize the value of all people, that nobody is beyond the grace of God. We weren't regardless. The kingdom is for everyone. Parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Tell me, is membership and life in the kingdom valuable according to Jesus? Great value. Yeah. Do we have to give up anything in order to be a part of the kingdom? Everything. Do we? No. Does that mean we're a part of the kingdom? Uh-oh, tension. <laughs> Got to wrestle. Got to wrestle with it. The disciples would have wrestled with that. Because you see, they saw themselves as having given up everything. Livelihood and family to follow after Jesus, but they hadn't given up the greatest gift yet, and they would. Every one of them died for Christ, fulfilling the words of Jesus, whoever would be my follower must deny himself, take up his cross, which is not the jewelry we hang around our necks, and follow me. Jesus is saying, the old, the new. God calling us as his people to hear the words of Jesus and to constantly be looking at the soil in our lives and asking questions about what am I unwilling to surrender to Jesus and where does that leave me? Parable of the net. Got to be done. Parable of the net. Who are the fish in the net? Yeah. We want to be the fishermen. We want to be the sorters. We're not. And, and remember the, the difference there, similar to the, the parable of the weeds and, and the wheat, and yet the, the fish are, are alive. And, and the image of this huge net that we said is the grace of God that is circling and gathering and, and seeking to pull people up out of death and destruction. And some fish respond to that and some don't. And we never want our tendency to be I responded, nah, 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 because remember, grace is a mystery. And, and we recognize that, that God in His grace is encircling people. And it's our opportunity as fish in the net who recognize the net, who recognize the grace of God that is, is protecting us and pulling us heavenward, is to tell others, get in the net, man. Don't resist. Get in the net. Uh, again, for those early disciples, that would have been something that was very new and very stretching. My brothers and sisters, I fear, as I said before, that, that, that too often the lives that we live uh, look rather normal, dare I say, to those who know us and see us. I may be wrong about this, but I just don't see anywhere in here where Jesus' call to follow him was normal. It just broke the traditions and, and broke the expectations and the stereotypes at every turn. And that call to those original disciples is, is the call to us. Praise team, why don't you come on up and prepare to lead us as we respond. My friends, I want to pray for us this morning as the praise team comes. I would ask that you would just quiet your hearts and think about the prayer 
and respond as it is appropriate in your life as the Spirit leads. Father, many of us have known you for a long, long time, or so it seems we have. Father, many of us have a certain understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a part of the church. We have an understanding of what the church is, what the church ought to do and what the church ought not to do. Father, my prayer is, is that your spirit would surprise each of our hearts with your grace that is so mysterious and so surprising and cause us to see the beauty of your kingdom in ways that we never have. Father, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. And we look at Jesus and we hear his teachings. And there seems to be so often just a huge disparity between the heart and the passion and the life of Jesus and our hearts, our passions, and our life's directions. So, Lord, if there are inconsistencies, if there are disparities, we ask that your Holy Spirit will work a work of grace. Allow us to see Jesus in a new light. Allow us to hear Jesus' teachings in a new light. Allow us to become the people that you have called us to be, willing to deal with the tensions and wrestle with the hard things, knowing that the ability to do those, to even recognize those, is a gift of your grace Mm -hmm. in our lives. May we become, as your people, as Applewood Community Church, just that tiny little slice of your kingdom, may we become passionate world changers for the sake of the one who changed our world. We pray in his name.